Hey folks, this is Matt Sewell, and you're listening to episode 52 of the Popecast, the only podcast about popes for people who love history and a good story but have neither the time nor the interest to pick up dry, dusty history books. If it were around in his time, our Pope this week could have used a steady stream of coffee to step into the shoes of his predecessor, so it's fitting that our sponsor for this week is Guadalupe Roastery with absolutely excellent coffee, a fantastic mission. These guys are the real deal. Head on over to GuadalupeRoastery.com and be sure to use the promo code POPE, P-O-P-E, at checkout for 10% off your entire order when you scope out a few pounds for yourself and a friend. Once again, GuadalupeRoastery.com and the word Pope at checkout. Thanks again to Guadalupe Roastery for sponsoring this episode. The Pope we're talking about today had to follow the fisherman himself. He's a man who not only knew the apostles, but was taught and ordained by them. Not to mention he's one of only two popes, not counting the first one, to be mentioned in sacred scripture. This week on the Popecast, it's the Pope after Peter, Pope Saint Linus. As is the case with so many of the early bishops of Rome, most, if not all, of a pope's early life has been lost to history. And so it is with the second pope in the history of the Roman Catholic Church. The earliest historical record of Linus, interestingly enough, is at the very end of the second letter of St. Paul to Timothy, chapter 4, verse 21, to be specific. It's basically Paul saying, tell Priscilla and Aquila hi for me, and then saying, Linus and some other people say to tell you hey. The last four verses of that letter read, in particular, quote, Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth. Trophimus I left ill at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Ebulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brethren. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you, end quote. We know this is the same Linus in large part thanks to St. Irenaeus, the early church father and bishop of Lyon in modern-day France, who lived in the late 100s AD, not even a century after the death of the last apostle. Irenaeus not only tells us that Linus is the one mentioned by Paul, but he also is the chronicler who tells us the order of the first 11 popes after St. Peter, beginning with Linus. Irenaeus, writing in his book Adversus Heresis, or Against Heresies, around the year 180, says the following, Quote, After the holy apostles Peter and Paul had founded and set the church in order in Rome, they gave over the exercise of the episcopal office to Linus. The same Linus is mentioned by St. Paul in his epistle to Timothy. His successor was Anacletus. End quote. This ordering is backed up by fellow historian Hegesippus and repeated over the next couple hundred years by Eusebius, St. Jerome, and St. John Chrysostom. They each affirmed Linus as following Peter as the second bishop of Rome, or, quote, first after Peter to be in charge of the Roman church, end quote, as Jerome wrote, in particular in the year 380 AD. It's worth mentioning that a couple of ancient sources didn't think that Linus was second in line, but they all came later than Irenaeus' initial account. Tertullian, writing a couple of decades after Irenaeus, thought Clement was second in line instead of his actual cleanup spot as fourth pope as did the writers of the Liber Pontificalis, or Book of Popes, which wasn't written until several centuries later and had been largely disproven by modern scholarship as far as its ancient quote-unquote history goes. Speaking of the Liber Pontificalis, real quick, I'll pause here and mention two other early works 
that historians tend to pull from, but still treat it with a grain of salt in terms of historical accuracy for the most ancient times in church history that they refer to. One of them is a Liberian catalog of the 4th century compiled history of the early church that ends with Pope Liberius, who died in 366. See Liberius' story on an earlier episode of the Popecast. It's proved helpful, the Liberian catalog, but nevertheless contains a bunch of anomalies and errors when it comes to the ordering and details of the first several popes in particular. It could just be copyist errors, but we can't know for certain. The second document is the Apostolic Constitutions, also known as the Constitutions of the Holy Apostles, another 4th century work that is primarily doctrinal and disciplinary in nature, that's been especially valuable for telling us specifically how many Christians uh, worshipped in the 3rd and 4th centuries, the way that their liturgies were structured. However, some copies of it may have been influenced by heretics, and so a lot of it was condemned by a later council. It also, as a result, contained several errors uh, historically as well, among which was listing Clement as the successor of Linus and not Cletus. So Clement was second in the Liber Pontificalis, third in the Apostolic Constitutions, but actually was fourth in line, according to Irenaeus, who wrote earlier than them all. At any rate, the year was roughly 67 AD when Linus was handed the proverbial keys following Peter's crucifixion upside down beneath the very same obelisk that sits in St. Peter's Square in Rome to this day. Granted, the papacy was in mere seed form in those days, but Linus still would have acted much like any other pope does in his core functioning even today. In essence, just like Peter did in Acts 15, verse 7, being the deciding voice, quote, after much debate, end quote, whenever a dispute among his fellow bishops and priests arose. The length of Linus's reign as Bishop of Rome is a little fuzzy, but it's assumed that he led the fledgling church for the better part of 12 years. Typically, Peter's death is marked in either 64 or 67 AD, and Linus's death listed as 60, uh, sorry, 76 or 79 AD. St. Jerome, for his part, dated it as 67 to 78 AD. But beyond those details, other reported specifics about Linus's life can't really be confirmed as fact or not. For one example, the Liber Pontificalis says that Linus issued a decree that all women should have their heads covered in church, when that really can't be known for certain, and the writer may well have just been copying from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, and it was arbitrarily assigned to Linus. Other more innocuous details, like Linus hailing from Tuscany in, in Italy, his father's name being Herculanus and his mother's name being Claudia, uh, incidentally, the same Claudia as is referenced at the end of 2 Timothy, are also without origin, but those facts are such that treating them as true when imagining this pope's life can't really do any harm, right? One interesting likelihood is that St. Linus actually probably didn't die violently, Earlier accounts of popes like the Liber Pontificalis have broadly assumed that every pope prior to Constantine received the glorious crown of martyrdom, and Linus indeed may have been, but the reality is, as the Catholic Encyclopedia recounts, that, quote, between Nero and Domitian, the years 68 to 81 AD, there is no mention of any persecution of the Roman church, and Irenaeus, from among the early Roman bishops, designates only Telesphorus, pope number eight, as a glorious martyr. End quote. Now, does this mean that Linus shouldn't be considered a saint? Absolutely not. Aside from it being safe to assume that the leaders in the early church wouldn't exactly pick a chump to follow Peter, as fitting as that may have been, Peter was a bit of a chump himself at times, he was still in charge of ensuring that Jesus and the apostles' visions were fulfilled, 
and that the Christians continued to spread their message despite it being illegal in the Roman Empire, and it takes no slouch to do something like that. But unfortunately, we'll never know on the side of heaven if Linus was a good preacher, perhaps a, a good writer, or if he hauled a blankie around everywhere he went. Seriously, you thought we'd go a whole episode on a guy named Linus without a blankie joke. But I digress. Among the things that happened while Linus was Pope, even though he may never have even known about it, was the destruction of the Jerusalem Temple in 70 AD, prophesied by Jesus himself in the Gospel of Mark. But something Linus probably did witness to some degree, however, was the Roman Colosseum starting to be built in the year 73 AD. Linus died somewhere near the end of the 70s AD and is thought to have been buried near St. Peter on the Vatican Hill in Rome, what is now beneath St. Peter's Basilica itself. Archaeologists thought they had actually discovered proof in 1615 when they discovered a tomb with the letters spelling out Linus, but the excavator actually noted that these letters were the end of a longer name, like Aquilinus or Paulinus. But at any rate, though that particular tomb wasn't his, there really isn't any evidence to date to show that Linus is not buried in roughly that same location, so it's safe to presume that our second pope is indeed buried right along with his beloved predecessor and so many other pontiffs who followed them both. As far as where we find Linus today, most who hear the name will, of course, instantly think of Charlie Brown's pal, right? But Pope number two can still be found today in more places than one might think. He is the namesake of the small Quebec city, San Lan Laurentide. A quick Google search will show that there are many St. Linus parishes around the United States and elsewhere, but the place you'll find Linus most often is in the Catholic Mass specifically in Eucharistic Prayer 1, prayed by the priest prior to the consecration of the Holy Eucharist. Known more commonly as a Roman canon, the priest prays in this particular part for the Lord's protection and communion with all of those fellow Christians who have gone before us, and names a litany of saints, right, from the early church in three different groups. As you'll hear in this section I'm about to read, it's the apostles, followed by several early popes and other leaders, but also included after the consecration, later in the prayers, a group of even more saints, included among them the most prominent female martyrs from the early church. So anybody who thinks Christianity is down on women can just refer to Eucharistic Prayer 1. But again, I digress. The Eucharistic Prayer reads as follows, quote, In communion with those whose memory we venerate, especially the glorious ever-Virgin Mary, Mother of our God and Lord, Jesus Christ, and blessed Joseph, her spouse, your blessed apostles and martyrs, Peter and Paul, Andrew, James, John, Thomas, James, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Simon, and Jude, Linus, Cletus, Clement, Sixtus, Cornelius, Cyprian, Lawrence, Chrysogonus, John and Paul, Cosmos and Damian, and all your saints, we ask that through their merits and prayers in all things, we may be defended by your protecting help through Christ our Lord. Amen. End quote. Now, in our opinion, that prayer isn't used often enough. As a giant papal history nerd, of course, I run a, a papal history podcast after all, I always smile at hearing the names of Linus, Cletus, Clement, Sixtus, and Cornelius, in particular, Popes 2, 3, 4, 7, and 21, respectively, knowing that these great fathers, these great giants on whose shoulders we stand today, can be remembered nearly two millennia after they walked the earth. Well, that's a wrap on this bio of the Pope after Peter. Just a couple of other things to note here before we close things out. Now, the fact that you're listening to the show and have gotten this far 
says that you seem to be enjoying yourself. So if that's true, would you consider joining us on Patreon as a supporter for just a couple of bucks per episode or more? Instead of saying it could replace one cup of coffee per month, coffee deserves a little more respect than that. What if we just said, if you signed up at a certain level, you could get a sweet mug to put that coffee in. But in any case, we'd still love your support. You can check out the various tiers at patreon.com slash thepopecast. Your patronage helps cover things like our hosting costs, the ability to, to produce these episodes, plus patrons get things like early access to new episodes, other great freebies, depending on your per episode tier. So check it out at patreon.com slash thepopecast. Please also, if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the Popecast over at iTunes. And then if you like this episode in particular, as soon as you're finished listening, hit that share button on your podcast or Spotify app, text this episode to a friend, share it on social media with those uh, you think might like it too. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all at The Popecast when you're not listening to new episodes. And thanks again to our sponsors over at Guadalupe Roastery. That's GuadalupeRoastery.com and the promo code Pope at checkout. So as we head out today, let us ask for the prayers of Pope St. Linus and his saintly successors, that we might remember that in every age there has been turmoil. Our age is no different. And yet in every age there has been a guiding light, if only we open our eyes to see it. Until next time. <music>